Jim Hughes joins me again on episode 88. Jim is a chromatic player who was last interviewed on the podcast in October 2020, back on episode 26. He is now at the grand age of 93 years young, and he shares the wisdom he has developed over many years of playing the chromatic harmonica. Jim has become blind since the last interview, and after being a lifelong sight reader, has now had to learn how to play by ear. He shares how he has adapted to these new challenges, and is finding new joy in playing the harmonica. Recently, Jim has unearthed some recordings he made among the thousands he recorded with the BBC, and he talks us through some of the pieces and the approaches he took on the harmonica, and his life as a session musician with the BBC. This podcast is sponsored by Zydel Harmonicas. Visit the oldest harmonica factory in the world at www.zydel1847.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Zydel Harmonicas. So, hello, Jim Hughes again, and welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Neil. Nice to see you again. Great to have you back. So, you're the first person that I've done a repeat interview with on the podcast, and um, the first one that was back in October 2020. Wow. (laughs) I can't remember that far back. (laughs) So, um, what have you been doing with yourself since then? Well, uh, very little. Uh, I say very little, but I've been practicing a lot the thing is as as you know i've since i last spoke to you i've uh, become blind so i've had to cope with that and I, I didn't actually play for one year i just didn't want to do it you know and then people started talking to me and said pull yourself out of this and get going i've started now learn, really learning about the instrument after 60 odd 70 odd years I'm learning new things about the harmonica, which is uh, quite <laughs> astounding, really. Well, I'm sorry to hear about you losing your sight. That must be terrible. But, um, I mean, they say that if you lose your sight, that your sense is improving over areas. Have you noticed that maybe about, you know, the hearing? Funnily enough, I've talked about this with Susie West. You probably know Susie West, Susie Colclough, yeah. who has been blind for many years. And she uh, befriended me when I became blind and helped me actually through it. And uh, we spoke about this uh, developing extra senses, but I've got no evidence of it, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I apply my, my mind more, especially to music. I'm thinking much more. I'm thinking about pitch and stuff like this. But um, oh, my hearing's the same, smell is the same, <laughs> balance is gone, <laughs> but um, no. So how old are you now, Jim? <laughs> I'm 93. I shall be 94 at the end of this year. Wow, congratulations, that's amazing. At least your, your hearing's still there, eh? <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. Well, so obviously the thing we talked about a lot in the previous interview and and we'll touch on again today is sight reading. And that was a big thing that you you took on. So that obviously is going to be a struggle for you. Are are you able to do any sort of sight reading? Is there ways around that? No, there's none at all. But I'm glad that 
I had the experience. And I mean, the thing was, I, I was a quite a, a regular working session musician. And all I had to do was sight read. My life was just going into a studio, looking at the music on the stand and, and just dealing with it and out, you know. It's just, it was that. It's quite different to performing. This was just like work. You sit down, you read, and you deal with the thing. I got pretty good at it, and but didn't develop ear playing, which is what I'm doing now. Yeah, so tell us how, how you're approaching that, you know, and again, in, in contrast, like you say, you've been sight reading for years, so... Yeah, it's it's been a, a lengthy process. It's a question of developing an instinct for uh, where the note is. See, I only play a C harmonica. I play in every key without any problem. But I I know the pitch of the sound according to where I am, what position I'm at in, with the instrument. And I hadn't developed that too well. I just let the, the, the dots, the music guide me as I read, which which just worked fine. Now I've got to think like a singer would. I mean, when you sing, you hear a note in your head and you go for it, and mostly you'll find it, you know, it's there instinctively. And this is the sort of feeling I'm getting now with the harmonica. When you're learning new pieces, are, are you listening to pieces and then learning those by ear? You've hit on a very good point here, Neil. I'm finding it difficult to learn new pieces because my memory isn't so good. I can deal with all the old standards which I've known all my life because I know the tunes. I know what they are and I can play them in any key without any problem at all. If I've got to learn something new, uh, which I'm learning, doing all the time, I take a long time over it. I have a go at it, and then I forget the notes. There you go. That's one of the difficulties. So are you spending a lot of your time now playing existing pieces, or are you, are you still spending time doing exercises and stuff like that? Well, I'll tell you what I do exactly. I, I practice scales. I practice arpeggios, modes, and uh, things like that. And then I sit down, put the radio on. I listen to a program called Serenade Radio, which plays all the old standards and big band stuff and all the great ballad singers are on. And so I sit there for hours and hours playing along with them. You know, I I accompany great artists like Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett. (laughs) I'm developing improvisational skills so what do you think about you know playing in this way uh, as opposed to all the years of sight reading you've spent you know are you enjoying it this way or you think one's better than the other or it's a whole different experience the other one was work this is now like relearning but i'm enjoying and i feel free to have a go at things i'm on my own any mistakes i make doesn't matter you know and I make a lot of mistakes. I don't always 100% hit the notes that I, that I aim for. Well, excuse you that at uh, your age, Jim. You're allowed a little bit of a, a slack, I think. 
<laughs> well, no, it's interesting though because lots of people obviously probably approach it from the other way. They on harmonica, you know, they would learn by ear and then maybe start taking on the sight reading, which I know you did in your, in your younger. So it's quite interesting. And yeah, yeah. So when you're playing, are, are you thinking in ways almost as if you're sight reading, like you know, you're really thinking about the length of the notes and, and the rhythms as written, or are you trying to? Well, no, it's it's sort of instinct. I'm playing by instinct. I'm, I'm able, like if there's a tune playing, I can pick up the harmonica and I can hit the keynote immediately. Or sometimes I can hit whatever note is actually being played, I'll hit it. My ear directs me to the position on the instrument. No, I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's, it's quite different to sight reading, and I think I'm just sort of letting myself go, you know. Yeah. As, as, if, as if I was whistling or singing. It's akin to that. Well, it's very inspirational that, you know, you're still playing now and it gives us hope that, you know, a lot of people might think you might not be able to continue as you're getting older, but it's great to hear that you're still playing and enjoying it. Yeah, my, my brain's still working and, I'm, and my lungs are still working really well. So one thing we're going to talk about today is um, you've unearthed some recordings from the archives. So tell us about, you know, some of the archives you've got of your, your, your recordings. I mean, our previous interview, we talked how you'd done thousands of sessions and you've got all this back catalog. Do you have copies of all these um, previous sessions you'd done? Unfortunately, no. I mean, this is a shame. And it's only because I've actually got a relative, a younger, my great nephew, in fact, who's interested in recording and doing. We've been sifting through the mountain of cassette tapes that I have that were all uh, recordings of, of broadcasts I was doing. Tell you something about the session work, as, as I say, is when you go into a studio and deal with a piece of music at sight. That's session work to me. But a lot of the stuff on that record was not sight reading. It was live, but it had been prepared because I was doing a lot of work as a resident BBC uh, musician. I was working and putting, doing slots with Harold Rich, pianist, we used to record about six pieces every week. So my problem was in finding repertoire. I had to look and prepare for it. So I had to look for pieces, and I had a great deal going with a shop, a local shop. They allowed me to sift through the music, all music, and just take away whatever I wanted, and they would just sign it out to me and I would browse through and find stuff and then get used to it, read it, learn to play it in, a, in an effective way. That was what I was delivering on the radio. So a lot of that wasn't true session work as I see it, you know. It was playing prepared pieces. interesting point there about you you sifting through all this music i think a lot of people so clearly you're, you're a chromatic player so but a lot a lot of chromatic players will 
you know, sort of struggle to find pieces that work really well on the chromatic. So what, what did you find? What were the best instruments to, to use and, you know, what sort of range along the instruments? I found that uh, recorder music, you know, 18th century stuff was very good. Stuff written for flute, violin, for anything really, as long as it was within the range of the, of the harmonica. I always used key C, starting at middle C. So if it was within the range, I could deal with it. Otherwise, I would probably sift the notes around a bit and leap an octave here and there to, to uh, encompass that. But the thing was, to find these pieces was difficult. It's nice. I, I used to listen to the radio a lot, and uh, I'd hear tunes and I'd mark down the, the names, and i think, yeah, I'd like to do that, I'd like to do that. But sifting through music, I've discovered some real little gems, beautiful stuff that you would never hear normally. I mean, there's loads and loads of serious music written that uh, nobody knows about. And are these pieces that particularly work well on the chromatic? Oh, yeah, they have to work well. Some are a little bit dodgy, but then you find something beautiful. Like amongst those recordings you've got, um, I found this gentle piece called a, a pastoral. Beautiful on a harmonica. And I, I've forgotten what it was written for. I don't have any music anymore to that. But this is a typical example of what we're talking about. A gentle, soothing, if you like, mellow piece. And I developed a tone to play this sort of music. And those gentle pieces work so well in the chromatic, don't they? But what about some of the technical challenges, say, of um, violin music where you've got slurs? How would you approach playing a slur on the chromatic? Sorry, let me just explain for a slur. So, so a slur on the violin is played when you play a, a sequence of notes with one direction of the bow. So you get a very smooth legato sound from a slur, which is a very characteristic sound of a violin. So, so yeah, so how would you approach that on the, on the chromatic? Ah, uh, now then, I've started composing, and well, started. I've always composed little bits, but now I'm seriously composing stuff for the harmonica. I've written a piece actually for for Susie West, which I called Susie, believe it or not. And there's a lot of smooth legato playing required to do justice to this piece, and it it means that you have to use. Where you've got a succession of notes, if you like two draw notes, three draw notes, you use one breath for, and just move the harmonica instead of uh, hitting each note separately. Mm -hmm. Can I can I play something? Sure. Yeah, just to give you an idea, this is the, the introduction to this piece. So. So that's using one breath where wherever you can, you use one breath for uh, like several blow or draw notes in, in a line. 
where there isn't any of that, and this is where real technique comes in, where you've got to make a draw to a blow note sound smooth, and that's where the work comes in on a harmonica. Yeah, but that's a great point, isn't it? You can get, of course, great legato by, as you say, keeping the breath in one direction over a sequence of notes, can't you? So, yeah. But that would call for maybe composing pieces specifically for the harmonica, wouldn't it? Because some of the you know violin and flute, etc., wouldn't necessarily do that, would they? No, that's, that's right. But as I say, you, you can make a smooth progression from a blow note to a draw note. And if you get one that combines all the actions, that's a slide action, uh, a movement of the harmonica, a change of air direction. And if you get all these in what, it, together, there's a lot of coordination needed. That's where the real work comes in on a harmonica. And so how about getting that legato sound from a, uh, an in-breath to an out-breath? Well, in what I just played you, there was a, there were some of that going on. I'm trying to think of. That's uh, the sound of a piece by uh, Michel Legrand. You must remember spring. So now there's a mixture of blows and draws there, but I'm sure that sounded pretty smooth, didn't it? It did. No, he's still playing excellently, Jim. Great to hear it. I noticed, though, you're definitely putting in nice touches of vibrato, you know, not overdoing it. It's just coming in nice and subtly. So maybe talk to that about that a little. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've developed this vibrato thing on a harmonica. It's developed and developed through, through the years as I've played. And it's, I play quite differently now than I did before. I used to have a wide vibrato, which I think I mentioned to you. Uh, it was overdone. Everybody was into the throat vibrato, you know. Now I've got a, a like, a, I use a very gentle, I always attack the note from the back of the throat. And um, I use a, a, a slight quiver of, I, Just a little gentle, like that in the back of the throat. Yeah, it's sounding sounding great. And I think you're right. There's definitely a period where vibrato was overdone on the chromatic. But yeah, it's, I think that really subtle vibrato is is really nice. So you mentioned that you're writing a, a composition for Susie. So obviously we've talked about you're not able to really sight read now. So how are you capturing that? How are you getting that down? I've got an arranger, and uh, we we discuss uh, the piano part of it. But I, these are essentially solo harmonica. I'm teaching Susie how to play it over the phone, mm-hmm. and uh, she's very bright, and she is uh, determined to to be a good player, and she will be. There's no doubt. So I'm teaching her note by note, and and how to work, how how to use your breath, and how to. Release air mainly. This is the one thing on a harmonica, as you probably know, it's you get too much air in your lungs rather than fall out of breath. You have to release air 
very subtly. So all these things come into it. So that I say pause there, release a little air, you know, and I'll show her how to do it. And um, it's working out well, be a nice piece. I hope she'll be able to perform it in, in uh, October. This is at the, uh, the annual Harmonica UK Festival, yeah? And the other thing I had, uh, do you know uh, another player within the, the Harmonica UK band, <laughs> Lena Freeman? Yeah, I know Lena, yeah. Well, she and I have a few phone calls, and she very kindly sent me some music from a film that she'd enjoyed watching, a French film, and it featured accordion. That inspired me to write a piece that sounds like an accordion. I thought, well, I'm going to dedicate this to to Lena. So I said, can I call it Lena? And she said, well, I've got a much nicer middle name, Rosa. (laughs) So it's called Rosa. Nice. I've completed it, sent it to her. It's a bit difficult, actually. I've got to modify the the thing. But uh, I don't know if you would you like to hear a bit of that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now the key I discovered, beautiful key to work in, is B flat minor. Beautiful key. And it's a bit On. Beautiful, beautiful, really nice playing again, Jim. So, so what about the characteristics of an accordion? What, what you, you know, how are you emulating that sound on the chromatic? Well, I, I'm just doing as much as, I, as good as I can. But I know when um, accordionists play this music, they do these little these trills and and, and bit, there's a bit in it that goes. Just messing around, really, with it within that scale. No, it sounds great. Well, Susie and Rosa are very lucky to have songs uh, composed for them. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that they'll both give a first performance in the same uh, harmonica fest in October. That'd be nice. Well, it's out on the podcast now, Jim. They're going to have to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure of it. I'll, I'll contact them. So yeah, so beautiful, yeah. And so you you you're picking these pieces up just from ear from the record. Well, this piece from ear from the from this film music, are you? And then just yeah. Well, I just get an inspiration for a for a type of okay sequence yeah. of notes, and uh, and then I start messing about. And the strange thing is, when I first started doing this, I I got a little theme going, and then my mind just blocked off nothing. And I thought, oh, I you know, I just couldn't, what they would call, I suppose, a writer's block. 
And now I can't stop the thoughts flowing in. I lie in bed and I get permutations and notes going through my head. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. That's good. That that's the mental representation of the music. Eh? That's a that's a very powerful thing. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that I've got this at least. You know. Yeah. There's very little I can do with sight loss. It's so restrictive. It's unbelievable. Does it leave you very housebound? I, I assume. I am housebound. That's a problem. Yeah. I have a wonderful carer in in the shape of my daughter-in-law. Suzanne, who is married to my younger son, she spends uh, four hours a day here, keeps the house clean and tidy, cooks me a meal, uh, does the washing and ironing, and the, even does the garden. <laughs> so she's looking after me so well, you know. Sounds like an angel. Very lucky. Very lucky, yeah. So you're um, you're still doing some teaching then over the phone, as you say, with um, with Susan and, and Lena, yeah. I love teaching, and. Uh, I will teach anybody. I don't charge anymore. I teach free of charge. So anybody that's got the determination, I'll, I will help. They've only got to contact me, you know. And uh, that's what I'm doing now, that wise. I like teaching. Yeah. But the, but the pupil has to be determined and, and, uh, and really want to do it. I mean, obviously, a lot of other instruments have formal teaching and there's a big history of teaching. So... But what is it about, you know, how do you approach teaching the chromatic in the best way you can? Well, I, it's all tied in with music theory. So we talk about music and then apply the the playing to, to the music. We talk about scales and, and uh, it's really, the more music theory you know, the better musician you'll be. You've got to know your scales and you've got to learn how music is constructed and there's so much to learn. You never stop learning. Never. Yeah. But I tie it all in with that. And I used to do that in with the written notes. Saying I would write exercises and they were all logical, you know, starting from one note and then explain how a major scale is formed and go on in, in the way that I think every instrument is being taught. But I've never had a lesson myself. So do you apply patterns to scales and things like that, that sort of approach to the scales? Yeah, we start off with the, with, the, with the scale of C and then we, you know, refer to the circle of us. And um, we just progress. One thing leads to another. It's hard to say exactly, but it's it's a question of gradually learning notes, learning the shape of the note and then the value of the note time-wise. And uh, the hard thing to learn is rhythm to teach to get that right and if if a person has not got a natural rhythmic feel they're never going to be a, a musician which leads me to a point which i didn't mention with session work the hard thing about session work is not when you play and it's when you're not playing and counting through the rest yeah. and that is harder than playing and sometimes you know if this big orchestral thing you'll be counting and counting and counting for for a long time and you have to be absolutely bang on all the time. You just set your mind like a clock. That is the hard thing. Have you got any tips to um, to help with the rhythm? Is it a case of you know practicing different rhythms and, and getting used to them? Or yeah, let's start off with it with one note, like a, a semi breve, a whole note. See, notes have two names. Again, you've got the the English name and you've got the the American name. Whole notes, semi breve, four beats. So I explain all that. We go through that rhythm, and then we we add in minim or half notes, 
and then add in the, the, the crotchet or quarter note and go on from there and give demonstrations of how it goes, how to count. This is the hard thing, the rhythmic quality of music. When I did the session work, I used to concentrate more. I didn't worry about the notes. I knew that I would, whatever note I looked at, I would hit it. But I looked at the rhythmic patterns. And especially when I was working with Johnny Patrick, I learned to read jazz phrases, triplets over the bar and things like this. Anyway, it's all experience, Neil. The more you do it, the better you get, eh? I tell you, I had a good tip. When I, when I started working with Johnny Patrick, all the notes were written down, as I say, in these jazz phrases, which, you, which are unusual to look at at first while you're inexperienced. But I spoke to the drummer, Lionel Rubin, and we were talking about playing the rhythms properly. And he said, I'm going to give you a tip now. He said, this will help you. And it did help me. And that, he said, mark in the beats. If you've got four beats in a bar, mark in where the beat is. Beat one, is there an, whether it's a rest on that beat or what, anything, or he might be in the middle of a note even. Beat one, you make a mark on top of them. Beat two, three and four. And you see how the notes lie in, in relation to what you've marked, those, those four strokes above the bar. And after that, I noticed... Even real great musicians were doing that exactly on session work. They were marking in the beats. Yeah. And that gave them an anchor. So uh, that, was, that was a very useful tip. Yeah, great. So, so let's get in now to the, um, one of the recordings that, that you've, you've unearthed recently. This is uh, called Selective Broadcasts of, uh, of Jim Hughes. So this is a lot of the work that you've done with Harold Rich on piano, as well as, uh, as, well as some other band stuff. So, um, so tell us about this. When did you play with, with Harold Rich? What sort of time frame? Well, this, when, when I auditioned for the BBC, one of the first things they did was set me up with Harold, who is a resident BBC pianist, and uh, it was Harold and Jim, or very twee, Harold and Jimmy. <laughs> now we have Harold and Jimmy. <laughs> and uh, we did a regular thing. Week after week, we worked for about a couple of years, Harold and Harold on the piano, Jim on the harmonica, and we recorded regularly. And this is where I had to find the repertoire to fit in with that. And, and when you've got to find new tunes all the time, you know, it's very difficult. So, I mean, there's something about that combination of the chromatic and piano, isn't it? I think they're both kind of quite gentle instruments and they, they go so well together, don't they? Yeah, and with Harold, he's a wonderful accompanist. He just, he's just beautiful, you know. I've been spoiled by having the opportunity to work with great musicians. And this is how I've developed as a, as a musician, is working with good musicians. Yeah. And the BBC have given me that opportunity so how did harold like playing with a chromatic harmonica player no he was he was fine about it yeah he, he liked it we did a lot of stuff a hell of a lot of stuff yeah so you did lots of tv appearances and radio appearances together no i never worked with harold on tv but i did work with johnny patrick on tv yeah were these generally live performances or were they pre-recorded 
Oh, the ones you've got there were live performances, but they weren't, as I said before, they weren't, that wasn't sight reading. That was prepared pieces. So you'd practice them beforehand, but were you still reading them as you played them or did you have them committed to memory? Yes, I was. No, I didn't memorize. I still read them. Yeah. But I was familiar with what I was playing. Great. And so most of these clips then were on radio. And there's a, there's great introductions in the old style of BBC Queen's English on the, quite a few of these recordings you've kept on, which are great. The third piece in this group, played by James Hughes and Harold Rich, has vaguely athletic connotations. It's by another notable harmonica and piano duo, Tommy Riley and James Moody, and it's called Golden Girl. <laughs> So let's talk through a couple of the pieces then. Uh, Happy Barefoot Boy, which is a Henry Mancini song. That's a little gem of a tune. Never heard it before. Just found it from browsing through a music shop and I see Happy Barefoot Boy. I think the film is called Two for the Road, but I'm sure it has been played, but I've never heard it played. But I think it absolutely suits our harmonica. piano music that you bought yeah piano and and uh, and lead the normal format on a, on a like a ballad sheet you know what was it about this song that worked so well on the chromatic first of all i liked it when i started playing it i thought well it just it's it fits nicely you know yeah i just felt good about it yeah great and another set of songs on here which there's a sort of set of dances so there's a pixie dance and a russian dance and a country dance so uh, what about these the Pixie Dance, there's a, a pianist called Bob Carter in Birmingham who was a big friend of mine. He start, when I started broadcasting, he, he said, oh, I'll write you a couple of little pieces. That's one of his pieces that he wrote for me. Not easy to play. And then he wrote another one with a girl's name, Julieta. There's one on there called No Limit. I bought that music from a shop. I think I've heard Tommy Riley play that. You're kind of like sounding like a train at some point. So you've got like a train whistle going on. Yeah, yeah. I just growled. It's interesting because on the diatonic harmonica, certainly, as you know, a train imitation is like a huge part of playing the diatonic harmonica. So it's interesting to to play it on, on the chromatic. And in fact, you know, you, you do get this on some blues chromatic, like All Aboard by Muddy Waters has this kind of train thing. She gone away and left me, left me for another man. 
And so there's a, there's a few compositions by Gordon Jacob on here. Were they specifically for the harmonica? Gordon Jacob, a wonderful composer, he was inspired by Tommy Riley. He wrote this suite of five pieces for harmonica and piano. Since then, they were orchestrated and they were... But he wrote that specifically for Tommy Riley. Mm -hmm. And when that came out, that was in the 60s, I think, late 50s, 60s. I was very interested to to get that and, and sort of made it part of my repertoire. Everybody likes the Russian dance because it's wild and and lots of fast runs. Yeah, beautiful. And another song you've got on there is Harmonesque, which was written by Carol Bloxham, but now now Carol Axford, so she's a harmonica player, yeah. She is a very good harmonica player. And as a matter of fact, I've just made contact with Carol again because I sent her this CD when I made it. I thought she's going to be surprised when she hears her name mentioned on it. That piece, (laughs) it takes a bit of playing. very very fine player she did become a member of the ivy benson all girls band this was a famous all girls band and she joined it as a pianist and harmonica player and toured with them nice to make contact with her again yeah no no i remember seeing carol play years ago now yeah she was a great player then yeah very good You've also got a couple of songs on this release which are played with a band. So you've got Stranger on the Shore, which is the the Ackerbilt classic, which is played with a sort of a Hammond organ and and a full band. My very first television appearance, live television. I was working in a factory at the time, and this was a show called Lunchbox, presented by a lady called Noel Gordon. The band that played there was a Jerry Allen trio. Jerry Allen, a great jazz player on on, uh, Hammond organ. So my first attempt at playing jazz, I played at Pick Yourself Up. followed by the other one. Must be pretty daunting playing live on television. What's that like? Well, funnily enough, it it never bothered me too much. Doing radio broadcasts was more difficult. Not with Harold, but I had to do... How can I explain? Yeah, I was sort of uh, approached by different producers with all sorts of music. One I remember, this uh, producer sent 
phoned me up and said, I've got a piece here which is for harpsichord and harmonica, and it was very avant-garde. She says, I'll, I'll send you the music. If you'd like to play it, I'll give you a whole half-hour program of your own. You can uh, play whatever you want, as long as you play this piece. Mm-hmm. So she sent me the music, and I looked at it, and I thought, oh, my God. You know, it was horrendous to play. It was unpredictable, you know, wherever it went, and, and it was difficult. I kept it for about a week, and then she rang me up again and said, how are you getting on with that music? And I said, it's not very easy. I said, it's not really playable. And she said, oh, what a shame. She said, we gave it to Larry Adler, and he said the same. He said it was impossible. So I said, right, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I did it. Well, that, it's brilliant that you've unearthed these. And as you say, with your great-nephew, you're still trying to get these old cassettes onto onto digital format and to the, onto the computer, yeah. So how many more do you think you've got to uh, unearth? I've got a lot of stuff. We've just found... Uh, I worked in Israel a lot. I did a, a broadcast, a live broadcast, one Sunday morning from a theatre in Israel. I have found that recording. It's in Hebrew and then translated into English, but I do a lot of playing on it. The playing has come out beautifully recorded, so that's another one that's actually on tape now. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll have to get these down somewhere on on the internet so we can, you know, people can listen to them. It'd be great to have them all. Oh, well, I'll just keep going with this project. Try and get the dates on as well if you can. That'd be really useful. As much as you can remember, I'm sure it's difficult to remember. So another one uh, that you also sent through is you playing live at Stratford upon Avon uh, in the second NHL National Harmonica League conference in the in the mid eighties. That's right, and that was with Harold Rich, and, and also with Richard Wright on guitar. You sort of split in two, yeah. Yeah, Richard Wright came along. I played some a bark uh, uh, with him. And then a former pupil of mine happened to appear, Ivan Richards, who was a former world champion at the age of 18. I hadn't seen him for some time, and I'd got this music, and he very bravely, he said, I said, oh, let's do it, you know. And he said, okay, we'll have a go. And that's a, a Mozart flute duet, which is on there. So he was just completely sight reading that, was he? Yeah, he he knew it because we'd worked on that when he was a pupil. But I hadn't seen him in about two years, you know. And he, and he appeared at that on that event. So you, what happened to Ivan? Do you know? Ivan, I'm very close to. He's uh, he looks on me as a father figure, I think, because he was 11 when he first came to me for lessons. I'm now in touch with him again, and, and we regularly telephone each other. At least once a week. Great. Are you still playing together, you two? No, we haven't done any of that. So this concert is all available on Roger Trowbridge's The Archivist uh, site. So people can yes. go and listen to the whole thing. I'll put a link onto that to the podcast page so people can hear the whole thing. But 
So another song which is interesting to talk on there is the Serenade for Solo Harmonica, which is a Tommy Riley piece that he wrote and he used to compose as a completely solo chromatic harmonica piece. And That's right. He wrote that for a, a test piece for the World Championships. So you performed this one in this concert and um, that music still widely available, is it? I mean, it's something that you think every chromatic player should learn? Well, I have copies of that music. It's a single sheet and if anybody would like it, I will gladly send them a copy. It was published by Hona, but I don't think it's available now. I don't think they publish it anymore. What about that piece then, and you know what Tommy Riley did with it? Is it something that obviously works really well in the chromatic harmonica? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he opened our eyes. I'll play, do you want me to play you a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> But it goes on like that, and then you've got this bit in the middle which goes. That came in, and people they've got to learn to play each side of the tongue. Yeah, there's a lot of double stops and there, kind of chordal work on there, which is I mean, you used to hear Larry Adley doing that a lot, but you don't really hear that so much on chromatics, do you? No, no, no. Oddly enough, you know, talking about Adler, there was a a bit on the uh, on the radio the other night, all about Adler. Uh, well, he was featured in this about film work. You know, he was an amazing player, Adler. I, I mean, everybody rated him. Of course, his panache and his uh, the, the fervor in which he played was was fantastic, and his sound was like like a trumpet almost belted it out, and then a lot. Well, he inspired me to start playing. I did meet him and, and became quite... In fact, we were in Israel together on one year. And then Tommy came along with his impeccable classical style. Just a couple of more songs from this NHL concert, which is a different style. So you, you do one with Richard Wright on guitar, uh, The March Her, which is an, an Irish song. People play a lot of Irish music nowadays on the diatonic. So what about playing Irish music on the chromatic? I mean, of course, which Brendan Power does play uh, Irish music on the chromatic. But yeah, what about playing that Irish music on the chromatic? Yeah, it's not easy. Brendan Power is a wonderful player. I've got got such a lot of uh, admiration for him. But he does 
make his harmonicas to suit a tune. Yeah. He'll tune a harmonica just to play one tune so that it lies properly. But when you start playing this Irish stuff in the different keys, it's not easy. Uh, another thing you do, you know, quite a bit is play these kind of, you know, these jazz songs, which were all written jazz songs, right? So, you, for example, you do Star Eyes with uh, Harold Rich on this concert. What about that you know, kind of written jazz songs? Yeah, well, that is a standard. And uh, it was a tune which I knew, but Harold Rich suggested to play it. And uh, so I had the music and then I knew the song and just learnt the arrangement. Yeah, that worked very well. The interesting stuff, and I've sent you some stuff of Brenda Scott. Yeah. So you're playing with a singer on here, aren't you? So, I mean, what do you do to accompany a singer? Well, you see, this is the beauty of, of Johnny Patrick. He wrote all the parts and he wrote every note that I played is written, but I could play it and make it sound like ad lib because I could swing, I could always swing. People have always said, oh, you know, great fills you do there. I said, yeah, I, but they weren't mine. I'm just reading them. Yeah, yeah. But they were perfect. And if you listen to that, it sounds as if it's all ad lib, but every note was written. about tips for people to develop their swing uh well you've either got it or you ain't you know <laughs> it's getting this thing between a triplet and a, and a dotted quaver This swinging and soft and louds come into it. Yeah, but that that's playing in a swingy way. The ten minute question is: uh, I asked you last time, but I'll ask you this question again. You know, you know, if you advise ten people to practice for ten minutes on the chromatic, what um, what would you advise they focus on? Well, first of all, I would say practice slowly. The slower you play, it's like a magnifying glass being put onto onto what you do, and you're able to observe the way you move from one note to the next. Practice scales all the time. I can't stress this enough. Playing scales and arpeggios are so important. Practice in, in a very relaxed way. If you start to play intensely, as if you were doing a performance, you, you wear yourself out. I can play for hours and hours and feel absolutely fine at the end of it because I just practice very gently. So I made a mistake there. I said, I play very gently, just 
getting the notes in the right order, be patient as well is my biggest advice. It's not going to happen overnight. The benefits of practice don't become manifest until a long time afterwards. I've practiced in the old days and still not been able to do something. And I think, well, I've practiced this for, for hours and I still can't do it. But the next day I can do it. It sort of needs to settle in, you know. So which chromatic are you playing these days? My, I've got a, a few different makes of chromatic. I've got about 10 harmonicas here, and, and I, as I'm blind, I spread all over the place so that I can sit in any chair and reach out and find a harmonica. The one I love to play more than anything is, is the Suzuki, and that's what I was just playing now. Which of the Suzukis is that, do you know? Chromatics, is it? Okay, so one of the kind of standard chromatics, yeah, the one ending in IX at the end, yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've always played Honer, the Honer 270. I've got a Seidel, which keeps in tune remarkably well, mm. stainless steel reeds. And I've got my uh, my Poly, the, you know, £6,000 job. I didn't buy, by the way. Great. So are you still um, having them maintained by people for you, or are they all keeping in shape? Yeah, I've just found this wonderful man called John Cook, who you must know. I do. And he, he does a remarkable job. My God, I could have done with him years ago. So I send him three harmonics at a time. So I've always got uh, I've always got at least six harmonicas all tuned up and and nice ready to play. I'm never short of a good instrument. Have you come across the MIDI chromatic, the DM48? Well, it reminds me of the Millionizer, developed by Walter, a, a Swiss guy. It was a fantastic device, and he called it the Millionizer because he reckoned he'd spent at least a million pound developing it. Oh wow! It was a sixteen-hole harmonica. But deep, you know, and it had all buttons on it. You could play any intervals together. You could impersonate any other instrument. It was just amazing. I remember seeing it demonstrated at Frankfurt at, at the trade fair there. It was just incredible. And when I heard it, I thought I'd love one of those. But you've got to be more than just a harmonica player. You've got to know a little bit about sound and what have you. I'm not a technical man, you see. I'm just not not technical. But you're open to um, these sorts of advances in the harmonica. You're not um, thinking it has to be a harmonica. You're quite open to it, are you, the idea of MIDI? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's wonderful. But I think the type of thing, I, the, the Suzuki is says it all for me. It does it. It's beautiful. It's a nice feel. The mouthpiece is perfect. The sound is good. I would recommend that. Yeah, and are you playing 12 holes? I only play 12 hole. yeah. And I only play in the key of C, all keys, of course, but on the key of C. I can't play any other instrument. I remember trying to play one set in, in B-flat, I think it was. couldn't play it because the sound that was coming out was in the wrong position. I got the, the, the pitch of a sound relates exactly to where it is on, on the C harmonica, and I'm hooked on that. Even G, I can't play a G harmonica. <laughs> Yeah, you saw used to the notes being where they are, which which is a good thing in many ways, right? That's what pianos are like, right? So uh, great. And so, I mean, are you planning on doing any more public performances, or do you think uh, that time's passed now? Well, I think it's gone, but I don't mind having a go at this. I'm going to approach uh, Chris Collis, and who I'm still closely attached to. We might do some charity work or 
fundraising stuff, you know, I, I would do that. I feel confident now to go out and play a concert by ear. Are, are you not going to be able to make it to the Harmonica UK Festival in October? I don't think so this time, no. I mean, again, it's very inspiring to talk to you, Jim, that you've still got such a passion for the harmonica at age 93, almost 94. So it's tremendous. That, you know, what keeps you going um, in playing the harmonica? Yeah, well, I guess music's my life, you know. And I think if I hadn't got music in my life, whatever form, it, it happens to be harmonica. If I hadn't got that, I don't think I'd be around now. You know, it's the only thing that keeps me going. And, uh, and uh, being able to teach occasionally... Because that's the one thing I'm a bit sad about. I think I've all my life I've I've developed all these skills and got a, a, a massive amount of information. And when I go, that's going to go, you know. Although I have left books behind, and fortunately some recordings. Because I hate to think that that just all dies, you know. Well, absolutely. That's why it'll be great to get these uh, recordings that you've made digitised, as you say, so that we can we can all enjoy them going for many years. Yeah, I'll keep going with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, and of course, like you say, you do have some material, some books, don't you, that are available that that people can are they can can they still get hold of those? Yes, and I also have the entire collection of music by um, James Moody. Uh, my son now looks after that. I, I, I publish that, and he now does it. And that's yeah. for sale. Most of the stuff is sold abroad. Japanese, um, Malaya, Chinese, they love the Jones Moody music. And this, of course, is all written for the Chromatic Harmonica. Yes. It was, it was, uh, he left it to me. Uh, he gave it to me just before he died. It was all unpublished, handwritten, and I proceeded at that point to copy it out by hand. Massive job, but I, I was pretty good at copying. I, I, I did a bit for, for the Beeb, actually. I got it all done, and then along came this software on computer, and I thought, I've got to do that. So I got a Sibelius uh, software and a computer, and I was learning how to work a computer and Sibelius at the same time. So it's one hell of a, a job. But that produced a really fine printed copy of music, uh, but it took a long time, far yeah. quicker by hand, you know. So thanks so much again for joining me on the podcast, Jim Hughes. Thank you. Once again, thanks to Zydel for sponsoring the podcast. Be sure to check out their great range of harmonicas and products at www.zydel1847.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Zydel Harmonicas. It was great to talk to Jim again. Still as sharp as ever at age 93. And his chromatic playing is sounding great. Truly an inspiration to us all that we can keep learning and enjoying playing the harmonica for many years to come. Thanks to Roger Trowbridge for his help with the episode once again. Be sure to check out his harmonica archivist site, an essential source of material for any harmonica player. You can find the link on the podcast page. Also thanks to White Rock Lake Real Estate for another donation to the podcast. Sorry, I don't know your actual name. I'll leave you now with Jim playing us out with another recording from his BBC sessions. Angel Eyes. Angel Eyes.